Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when things go wrong in life, how do we react? What do we do when we find ourselves in a tight spot, when the unexpected suddenly shatters our regular day-to-day -day lives? What do we do when we find out that we have lost our job or that a loved one has become ill or injured? How do we react when we are faced with injustice? How do we handle the unknown and the uncertain? When we are faced with such situations, then we are forced to go back to the basics of what life is all about. Where do we put our trust? What is our comfort in difficult times? The Lord Jesus has just finished explaining to his disciples what it means to have true faith and to respond to the word which he gives to them. In the parable of the sower, Jesus taught that the same word is proclaimed to many people. But the results of that proclamation are very different. Some do not believe it and reject it as if it's worthless. They are like those who hide a lamp under a bowl or a bed. They have received the light, but they hide it away so that it cannot shine and give light and direction in a dark place. Others do believe the word and bear fruit, multiplying many times over what they have been given. In the next two parables, Jesus also speaks about the response to the word of God. The kingdom of God is like seed which grows and produces grain. The various stages of the growth and development of the grain is shown in the parable of the growing seed. The soil in this parable is good soil, and it produces abundant, rich fruit. The sower of the seed will come and harvest the grain which has grown. He is delighted with what has been produced and reaps the grain that has grown. In the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus shows that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It starts out very small. It looks so insignificant. But then it grows and develops into a large plant so that even the birds of the air can nest in its branches. And now today in our time, we are privileged to see just how large the kingdom of God has become. God's children are spread throughout the whole world in all nations and languages. After Jesus has spoken these parables and instructed his disciples about the nature of God's kingdom, the necessity of faith and obedience, then on the evening of that day, it appears that the disciples are given an opportunity to show their faith. Having just heard about the necessity of understanding the message of Jesus Christ and bearing fruit, the disciples can now show that they have understood what Jesus was talking about, that they know him to be the light of God that has come into the world. I proclaim to you the word of God under the following theme. 
In the storms of life, find your peace in our all-powerful Savior. We will see first the panic of unbelief, second the rebuke of our Lord, and third the encouragement of God's power. On the evening of the day that Jesus had taught the people from the boat, he tells his disciples, let us go across to the other side. They left the crowd behind and started across the Sea of Galilee. Mark notes that other boats also accompanied them across the sea. This Sea of Galilee is really a lake surrounded by high hills. These high hills on the various sides of the lake form a basin through which winds can funnel at great speed and fury. Storms can come up just like that at unexpected moments. In a very short time, a lake that was previously calm and quiet can become a lake that is rolling with high and heavy waves. Such storms also do not occur by chance. Nothing occurs by chance. But this particular storm was also arranged and caused by God in heaven to put the disciples to the test to see whether they would react in faith or in unbelief to the situation that they now face. In verse 37, we read, And the great windstorm came up, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. There were high winds, and the previously calm lake was whipped up into large waves that crashed into the boat itself. The boat was filling with water, and it seemed that at any moment it could sink. How would they ever be able to survive this? When the boat sinks, they'll be helpless in the raging sea and would most certainly drown. The situation was desperate. Luke records for us in Luke 8, verse 24, that they were in danger. As fishermen, they were experienced in the ways of the lake. They were out there all the time. That was where they earned their living. They would not have been fearful of a bit of choppiness in the water. But this was different. This was a serious storm, a storm that threatened to kill them all. And therefore, their reaction to the seriousness of the storm is understandable. They are at their wit's end. They are filled with fear and terror. They are in a state of panic. They feel death coming very close, and they are at a loss as to what they should do. There appears to be no way out. Their end has come. They are in a state of great fear, such as they have not experienced before. By contrast, the Lord Jesus is a picture of calmness and tranquility. Mark tells us in verse 38 that he was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. Even though the storm is raging around them and the boat is filling with water, Jesus is sleeping peacefully on his cushion. There is no hint of panic or terror in his countenance. He rests in the everlasting arms of his Father in heaven. He sees no reason to be concerned about their situation. 
he goes on sleeping. There is no reason to be concerned because he knows that his heavenly Father will take care of him no matter what the circumstances might be. But the disciples are beside themselves. They go to him and they wake him up and they say to him, Teacher, do you not care if we drown? They can't understand how it's possible for him to be so unmoved by the events of the dangerous storm. Is their teacher so uncaring? Isn't the lives of his disciples and his own life precious to him? Can't something be done? What are they going to do? They can't just let their teacher sleep on his cushion in these dire straits. The other Gospels record that the disciples told him that they were drowning. They go to him as a last resort and ask him to save them. This would have taken a lot of courage on their part to ask a carpenter to save them experienced fishermen from a storm at sea. They were supposed to be the experts on how to handle a situation like this. How could a carpenter save them now? Truly, the disciples are at their wit's end. They show the panic of unbelief here and allow themselves to be overcome with terror and dread. They have lost their bearings when faced with death itself staring them in the face. They have forgotten the lessons the Lord Jesus has been trying to teach them. They look at their situation only from a human point of view. They are literally and figuratively carried away by the storms of life. The storm was clearly a trial and difficulty in their life at that point. It was a very grave danger. But they failed the test as to what to do in such a situation of great danger. From a human perspective, we can all identify with the reaction of the disciples. Who of us could claim with confidence that we would have reacted differently? This account was also recorded in Scripture for our instruction, and so that we might examine ourselves and test our own faith. We may never be in the exact same situation of grave physical danger of drowning in a boat on an open lake, but we all need to face the storms of life, great trials and difficulties, which can come upon us when we least expect them. Such trials can catch us off guard. The question is, how do we react to them? Where do we turn? What do we do? What is our attitude? Where is our rock? and refuge in time of need? Do we allow ourselves to become overcome with panic and extreme dread so that we can't even function properly? Such a state of extreme fear and panic is never right for a Christian, for a child of God. It is only those who have no hope in this world who are to act like that. But a child of God who trusts in his heavenly Father and lives close to him, having fellowship with him every day, 
never needs to be without any hope. There is always reason to be of good hope and even to rejoice in the midst of great trials. This message of hope and always being of good cheer can grate and rub the wrong way when we hear it only with our human ears. It can sound unrealistic and very harsh even. It can sound out of touch with reality and too idealistic. And therefore we need to now go to the second point to see that this is nevertheless exactly what our Lord and Savior teaches us. When faced with the panic of unbelief, the Lord Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 40 and says to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In the version that Luke records, Jesus says, Where is your faith? The Lord Jesus asks his disciples why they did not exercise faith in these circumstances. He rebukes them and tells them that they should have had faith and believed. He does not say to them, Sorry for sleeping on you. I can certainly understand that you would have been terrified in this storm. Don't worry about it, though. Everything is fine. No, he offers no escape via friendly excuses to his disciples, but he confronts them very clearly with their lack of faith. In the question, why were you so afraid? Jesus implies that there was no need for them to be afraid. Jesus realizes that they were filled with terror and dread. But he now instructs them that they should not have been so fearful. If they had had faith and used that faith, then they would not have been afraid. The questions of the Lord Jesus, why are you so afraid? And have you still no faith? Must lead to the self-examination of the disciples and also to our own self-examination. With the question, why are you so afraid? Jesus implies that the disciples were wrong in being afraid and that they had no reason to be afraid. The circumstances of the storm should not have led to fear. Why is that exactly? Because they should have factored in the unseen reality of their Heavenly Father. They should have been living their lives in communion with God in heaven. If God had been a living reality for them, they would have gone to Him immediately and entrusted themselves into His care. They should have gone to Him in prayer and realized that their lives were now in His hand, also now in the storm. They knew the truth about their faithful father. Jesus had been teaching that to them on many occasions. They knew that they had to listen to the word of God and bear fruit in God's service. Now they had a golden opportunity to show that they had understood God's word. 
but they failed in doing that. They now had the chance to demonstrate that they trusted in their Heavenly Father to provide them with everything that they needed. But instead, they were overcome by the earthly circumstances. They forgot their God in the time of need and lost their heavenly bearings. In the situation beyond all human hope, they neglected to lift up their eyes to heaven. They were not yet accustomed to living by the heavenly realities, but were too fixated on the things of this world, as if that is the only reality. They live by sight and not by faith, and therefore Jesus rebukes them by saying, Have you still no faith? They were not living as men of faith. Where is your faith? This question also comes to us, brothers and sisters. When we are confronted with the storms of life, how do we react? Do we then live by faith or only by sight? By the limitations of an earthly perspective only? Do we in practice limit the power of God and exclude Him from our lives in many practical ways? Those who trust in the Lord never need to be overcome with fear and panic, no matter what the outward circumstances might be. How, we, how do we deal with the tests of faith in our lives? Do we view them as opportunities to show that the love of God and communion with Him is uppermost in our lives? Or do we fail the test and become overcome with fear and terror? Jesus does not mean to exclude all human emotion and reaction in the face of difficulty and trial. Jesus Himself showed this in the Garden of Gethsemane where he showed real emotion and anguish at having to drink the cup of God's wrath. In his human nature, he desired that it would pass from him. He wished that there would be another way. And he wept tears of blood because of the torment he would have to undergo on the cross when the full fury of God's wrath would be pressed upon him. Nevertheless, he submitted himself to God's will and asked God to accomplish his will in his life. The Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians concerning the death of loved ones that we grieve for them, but not as those who have no hope. That is the difference, beloved. It is human and natural to grieve in times of trial. But as Christians, we must never be completely carried away and swept away by grief and sorrow, fear and terror. For the hope that we have in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ, overrides and overcomes that fear or sorrow. We grieve, but not as those without hope. A Christian is never in a hopeless situation. Let me repeat that. A child of God 
is never in a hopeless situation. And therefore, we must also not behave as those who are caught up in hopeless circumstances. It is only true hopelessness which results in terror and being at one's wit's end. There is never a reason for a Christian to be at one's wit's end. There is always a way out of each trial and struggle we may encounter in life. No matter what it is, the Lord provides a solution. Even when we are faced with imminent death, then that also is not hopeless because death for a Christian is an entrance to eternal life and the end of all sin. Even if we are faced with terminal illness or pain that just never seems to go away, we are nevertheless not without hope because God comforts us with his presence and provides the sure hope of complete relief from all pain and suffering and sorrow in the new world that he is establishing. In all circumstances, he always provides the greatest gift of all, himself, the promise of eternal communion with him, the eternal, most holy and majestic God. And so we come to the third point, the encouragement of God's power. When the disciples went to the Lord Jesus in their despair and woke him up, Jesus showed to them his power and majesty as God's son. He stood up from his cushion and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. He simply speaks the words and the result follows. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus speaks, and the wind and the waves obey him. The storm dies down completely, and the sea is as smooth as glass. The disciples are filled with great fear at this display of control, even over the wind and the sea. And they ask each other in verse 41, Who then is this? that even the wind and the waves obey him. Seeing what Jesus has done leads them to consider the identity of Jesus. Who is this man really anyway? Surely this is someone very special, someone far beyond what is normal. The disciples are not yet exactly sure who he is, They have not yet received a clear understanding of him, but they know that he is a man of authority, a man with divine capabilities, someone who must be very special in God's sight. This miracle of Jesus confirms the words which he spoke to them earlier. He had told them that they were going to the other side of the lake. They should have trusted him and believed that this would be accomplished. There is nothing which can come in the way of the Lord's plans. 
This miracle also encourages them for their future task, which Jesus will give them. It shows them that they have nothing to fear with such a Lord and Master. He has all things in His control. Even the wind and the waves must submit to Him and do His will. When Jesus speaks to them, they must not doubt His words, but instead do what He says and rely upon Him alone. He will most certainly accomplish what He says. They must learn to expect all things from Him alone. Their faith in His words must be absolute and without any wavering, for He is the one who is able to work miracles and carry out what He says will happen. There can be no doubt that His words will come true. Jesus teaches His disciples to expect more from Him than what they have been doing. Their faith must not waver in the face of opposition and difficulty. They must not be like those whose hearts were like the rocky soil. There the seed came up, but it quickly withered and died when trouble came because of the word. The seed had no root because the soil was so thin. It appears that this was now also the case with the disciples. Jesus' rebuke is a warning to them, but his miracle of calming the stormy lake is a real encouragement. He gives them another chance to mend their ways, to look to their heavenly Father and his gift in Christ for all the hope and consolation that they need for their life and also for their task that the Lord will give them to become fishers of men. This account of this wonderful miracle on the Sea of Galilee is both a warning and an encouragement for us as well. This miracle shows why we may always have hope with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all-powerful and able to do anything. He is able to do any miracle, solve any problem, work any wonder. For he is God himself. For those who believe in him, there is no reason to fall to the level of panic and be at one's wit's end, because with him there is always a solution and a way out. Let us always live our lives as God's children, as those who know their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us walk by faith and see before us at all times our wonderful Savior and keep before us the things which He has done for us. May we rely on His heavenly majesty, His everlasting love, and His enduring faithfulness in all circumstances and situations of life. When we look only to ourselves, then there are many reasons for despair and anguish. Then life can seem hopeless, and then it can seem that there is no solution. When we focus only on the things that we see, then everything will waste away, and there is no lasting hope 
or reason for cheerfulness and rejoicing. When we look to Jesus Christ above and recall the love and mercy of our Heavenly Father, then we always have reason for great joy and thanksgiving. Then all panic and terror is banished from our hearts, and we may go forward free from worry and anxiety. Our Savior instructed us not to be filled with worry and dread, because our Father is watching over us and taking care of us. He has taken us in his everlasting arms and carries us, especially when the road is too difficult for us. When we seek his kingdom and his righteousness first in our lives, then everything else will fall into place as well. We may not always receive exactly what we think we need in our earthly lives, We may need to struggle against the same trial and difficulty for a long time, maybe even for the rest of our lives. Yet we may do that in the context of communion and fellowship with God unending. We may live our life in the perspective of the peace that surpasses all understanding, the peace that our sins are forgiven in the blood of Jesus Christ, and that our Heavenly Father will never forsake us. It is Jesus Christ who has endured the torments and anguish of hell itself. He went there so that we never need to undergo such utter despair and suffering. He was rejected by God so that we might be accepted by God forever and received into his heavenly dwelling through intercessions. Live out of that sure hope and rest in the Lord all of your days in all circumstances of life. When there are difficulties and trials in life, look to God above and find your peace and comfort in Him alone. When things are going well, look to God above And give thanks to him for all that he has given you and his many blessings. When we wonder about the future, look to God above and rest in the surety that he is guiding all things to their final goal. Nothing at all can separate us from his love in Jesus Christ, his Son. Amen. Let us now sing together Psalm 107, the stanzas 9, 11, and 12. <laughs> 